No, I disagree with that. I don't think it distracts from the rest of the narrative. It just happens to take up a large part of this conversation because I had a point of view about it. You had a differing point of view about it. And naturally, we hashed it out. Up till then, we were agreeing about everything. And when you agree about everything... Yeah, these episodes suck when we agree on everything, right? to give up my Asian American card, the one that ICE makes me carry. Just kidding. No, I haven't seen it yet, but as a great philosopher Samuel L. Jackson once said, there's a motherfucking Delta variant in this motherfucking theater. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Language, Colonel Fury. I just figured you'd really be into a movie like this. Right, because I'm Asian. Well, no, dude. Remember, I'm Asian too. Technically, yes, but I've always viewed you as Asian adjacent. But we can stretch the definition like Dolls Demon Street Fighter. First of all, I'm South Asian. And second of all, yoga fire. So we're not talking about Shang-Chi then? I don't think so. I, I might try to go see it. But my real question then is, what stereotypical Asian thing can we read a comic book about? Junji Ito. Spelling bees. <laughs> I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who always got picked last for basketball games, but made it in life anyways. So much so that we now spend our evenings recording a podcast about comic books. Who's on tap now, bitches? (laughs) This week, we are finally, 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 finally reading something a little happier. We are reading Dragon Hoops, written and illustrated by Jean Lun Yang, the Eisner Award winning comics creator who was once just a school teacher. At Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland. My cousins actually went there. Go dragons. Go dragons. Uh, So Dragon Hoops actually won a 2020 Eisner Award, which is like the Oscars for comic books, alongside Jean Lun Yang's other awesome comic, Superman Smashes the Clan, which we actually talked about on the second episode of this very podcast. Call it the quarantine comics bump. We should totally go to Vegas and play some bets. Wouldn't that be like insider trading? White collar crime is legal in America, my friend. (laughs) You can take that one to the bank. Dragon Hoops is actually a nonfiction account, five years in the making of the high school basketball team at the school where Yang was a teacher before he went full-time into the comic book industry. And like me, and maybe like Ryan, but probably not, Yang is not a guy into the sports balls, which might just be what makes it such a great book about the game. And for some reason, he decided to follow the fortunes of his high school basketball team in their quest for a state championship. Ryan, I've had a long time soft spot in my heart for all of Yang's books, almost as much as your weird predilection for Junji Ito. So I'm coming into this one a little biased, but this book is quite different from most of the stuff we read, given it's grounded in the realities of, I don't know, some pretty normal everyday circumstances. So I got to know, what do you think of Dragon Hoops? But do you think I wouldn't like it because it's grounded in the realities of some pretty normal everyday circumstances? Have I created this image in your mind that I'm only interested in a comic book if somebody's being like gutted or turning into a monster? I would just ask all of our listeners to go check the tape on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we literally have a year's worth of proof. 
<laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Well, I like Jean Lun Yang. I read ABC American Born Chinese some years ago, and I thought uh, Superman Smashes the Clan was all right. I actually really liked Dragon Hoops. And for a bunch of different reasons, one thing that really stuck out at me and that reminded me of <laughs> Kumsu Gendry Kim's two Korean graphic novels is that one of the things Jean Lun Yang addresses head on is the trouble that he has trying to build this account of this basketball team, not knowing what to tell, not knowing what to tell, and occasionally even exaggerating certain things for dramatic effect. Like, for instance, a conversation that took place over text message, he actually yeah. dramatizes the face. The, the meta-narrative was just such a, a pleasant treat. Like him talking with his wife, him talking about the design of characters. Like the book is about the author's discovery, but stepping out as the author... And not really breaking the fourth wall, but just letting us peek behind the curtains of how do you make a graphic novel. And I think that was important for this book because the danger with Dragon Hoops is that it just is about a bunch of ragtag. They're actually not a bunch of ragtag. It turns uh, into a Samuel L. Jackson basketball movie. <laughs> well, yeah, like like Bishop O'Dowd is a pretty dominant basketball team. It's just their issue is just they haven't won the California State Championship. But it's and and everyone there is 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 pretty talented. Some many of whom, some even matriculate to the NBA. So, but Yang's honesty in confronting his troubles, trying to tell this tale, and to tell it accurately, all of that really elevates it. So it's not just a story about a bunch of kids playing basketball. There are other things he does as well. He, he integrates elements the of history the history of basketball. Of basketball. Yeah. He really tells the personal stories of each of the kids who's on this team. And he also confronts a lot of issues uh, involving race and, and basketball. Yeah, I've really just accidentally discovered Yang years ago and have just been really... He tells these interesting culturally angled stories. And so when this book was announced, I didn't want to get it, actually. But we're in the midst of a pandemic and it seemed happy. And I... Again, I'm not a sports guy, so I was like, why would I want to read this? But, okay, it's Gene Lun Yang. Maybe it's good. The pleasant surprise of not being a sports fan and enjoying this book. The pleasant surprise of discovering that Gene Lun Yang struggled with that exact same thing in the discovery to writing the book. I, I love the the moments at the front where he's literally like, oh, shit. The book is just staring me in the face. And they show so many scenes of him and his family and like just staring up at the ceiling at night, playing back conversations he's had with other people. And not just in the decision to make the book, but the decision in how to make the book. I don't know, just that that spoke to me. And this this just bigger narrative of everyone. It's not even a metaphor because they just like hit you over the head with it. Everyone like stepping into the ring or taking that first step yeah. that's shown repeatedly. But I don't know, I'm just in this weird stage of my own career. So like seeing that, especially reading it the second time around, like just, I don't know, got me pumped up. Like sports get people pumped up. Well, that's actually also a big thing that Yang is able to do. He's a talented illustrator, no doubt. He illustrates his own graphic novels, but he's not like one of those standout illustrators. And one thing that he does really well, though, is convey this really, the sense of drama in the basketball scenes. He's really good at that. So, well, he he's drawing draws... it like superhero action. And that's what was well, so actually, funny. That's not, that's, to me, that actually, that wasn't the case. When I think about of really dynamic illustrators who putting the human body in weird positions, crazy angles, like Frank Quietly, for instance. I was uh, going to say Rob Liefeld, but okay. <laughs> Rob Liefeld is another great example, another American treasure. Um, I, I wouldn't use the word great, but yeah. 
He's great at drawing feet. He's great <laughs> at drawing pouches. He's great, Roman. Don't deny it. Make but comics when, great again. Sorry. But he's 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 Jin Lun Yang is really really good at. I don't know. It's 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 like the pacing. It's the way the panels are interspersed. It's the silences. He's really good at creating the sense of drama. So you have no idea whether one person is going to make a basket, the basket that's going to win the game or not. You feel that tension in the pages. And that was actually something that I thought was really, really striking. Because even though you look at the illustrations and they're well done, but they're not like, holy shit, how did you do this? It, the, the way he tells a story visually, though, the, the pacing, the close-ups, what he chooses yep. to put in panel, all of that, he, he consistently creates just a wonderful sense of drama within each game it almost felt like you're watching one of those disney movies right where 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 you don't know whether whether the basket's going to go in or not at the end and mm -hmm. it feels very very actually very very cinematic well i think we talked about this during year of the rabbit actually as i've gone into like non-fiction indie comics over the last 10 or so years i have a real admiration for the artistry of cartoony again which is not what frank quietly jim lee rob liefeld Rob Liefeld, yeah, he's cartoony. Uh, yeah, but like, but I know, yeah, it's the uh, something uh, you talk about, like a lot of the drama and the play out. Like, are they going to make the shot when the coach has to think about something? And really, the tension in that space between moments, it's all done in the expressions of the faces or the body language, and somehow it's more easily accomplished in cartooning than it is classic comic book penciling which is trying to imitate life, whereas yeah. cartooning is trying to almost like convey emotions better. Yeah, and I, I think I, that's a good is way at of, the top of his game with that. That's a good way of describing I'm, I'm just thinking of another basketball game that, remember X-Men? When we did Jim Lee's X-Men, there's that yeah, basketball yeah. game. And it's... It's, you it's know, an the, action the, the, scene. It's all it's an, just it's an action. action. Right, it's an action scene. But I think like the really... I don't want to say like the realistic illustrators like Jim Lee, because obviously they're, they're not that realistic, but the more conventional superhero illustrators, they tend to focus on the dynamic poses or, exactly. yeah. And, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Yang really focuses on the drama and the tension. It's stuff that isn't really, it doesn't really matter how good you are drawing the human form. It really matters how good you are as a visual storyteller. And actually Yang is a master at that. As I'm flipping through the pages, as we talk through this, and I'm looking for scenes, something I'm even appreciating, and as like an OCD want want to be designer some days, not just the page layouts, like the Scott McCloud, the Bill Watterson, like panel layout, but even like the page layout is very intentionally done, like the drama from one page to the next in some of these action scenes of basketball games, you can tell there's a level of intent or intentionality to it. And again, I'm, I'm wondering if that's in the art of cartooning. When you strip down everything, you have to rely on the architecture of the page even more. You have to rely on the architecture of the facial expressions and the eyes and the glances even more. And it, there's, it's, there's less opportunity to hide when you have like really elaborate illustrators. They might put something in shadow <laughs> basically to hide the <laughs> fact that they have trouble drawing something. Or they'll use certain gimmicks. They'll use like, or they'll, or they'll draw big guns or something, something flashy that can distract you. A cartoonist like Yang, you, there really is no place to hide because every line, as you mentioned, is intentional. There's nothing extraneous about the the illustrations, and it's not flashy, but it's incredibly powerful. 
In fact, yeah. some, you know, sometimes he uses like certain panels seem to repeat themselves, but all of that is, like Fine. I mentioned earlier, by design, it's, it's meant to slow you down and creating a sense of drama by slowing down the time. Something I've noticed also in, again, the last 10 years of reading a lot of indie cartooning graphic novels is the use of sound effects and onomatopoeia, right? So obviously the lettering is great, be it the swishes and the dribbling, the papa, the kathunk. But even, I've, I've noticed this in the last few years, you literally have <laughs> sound effects for things like hurl, catch, grab. And it adds not an obviously funny comedy to it, but just a lighthearted nature of, I'm trying to express this, the best way to express what's happening it's not just pow, bam, smack, pump. It's take, run, <laughs> walk away, things like that that are happening. It's unpretentious, and it's just a shorthand to really make sure it's very clear what's happening. I think when you're doing these static shots of somebody passing the ball, without seeing that in motion, it can be really, really confusing. And so just having pass and integrating it as part of the graphic element, the word pass, it it looks like a sound effect. It, but it also very clearly conveys exactly what the hell is happening on this page because he doesn't have the advantage of showing it in motion. It's funny. Usually we we salivate or criticize the art at the end of an episode. And it's interesting that we spent a lot of time on the art at the front. But my next question is like, how do you find the story? How do you find the broader narrative of the dragon's march to victory? I felt that the the march to victory was inevitable though yang does seed it with some doubt along the he, way well because he yeah he's writing it as he goes he doesn't know what's going to happen there are a lot of mysteries that are unveiled in the book but he acknowledges hey you could just google it you could google these people's yeah. names and you can you will know exactly what happened mm -hmm. so it was probably smart of him not to focus too much on will they won't they because mm -hmm. again this all happened this is a true story it happened in the past and so I, it's it's I about the journey and who these people are. It's almost like it, when you watch the Olympics, those vignettes they show you, even though Michael Phelps won, you need to hear the story about like him picking up grocery for his grandma. Like, Yeah, that, but almost that stuff almost it makes it feel like, like it's almost facetious in a way because it's like the feel-good narrative of the Olympian athletes at NBC just voices down your throat. Sure, sure. Uh, but sorry, so, but this is done in a more genuine way. So for example, yeah. when you show the, the Sikh basketball player dealing with racist commentators, those moments happen after you've already set up Jivam's background, right? And how he talks to his mom about these things and his whole perspective. So it's like the character moments are established and then you see some, and it's not even major action. You just see something happening with them and it has more depth because you now know more about this because you spent 10 pages talking about the background of a character. Yeah, it helps you realize who these characters are. But I, I was also thinking about who was it? He was talking about was it Austin? One of these, one of the basketball players who was just really, really he really admired. He was really, really good. But oh, the shorter kind, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he admits later on he's focusing on this positivity to not have to talk about one of the one of the coaches at Bishop O'Dowd who left a huge impression at the school. Mike mm -hmm. Phelps. And that was some, and, and he, that's actually an issue that Yang wrestles with visibly throughout the book. Like he actually confronts the fact that I don't really want to include this guy, Mike Phelps. And that was actually a really interesting decision, the way he eventually did. So Mike Phelps was the winningest coach in basketball 
in California, the winning, winningest basketball coach in California history. And then he was charged with molesting a student in the, in the 1960s. And that was like a huge deal. Then just complicated because there's a lot of ambiguity over whether he did, whether he didn't. The accuser was anonymous. There was, there was only one accuser. And the charges against him were actually dismissed but he was still asked not to return. So he left in, in disgrace. And that's a big question mark because Mike Phelps really defined the legacy of basketball at Bishop well, O'Dowd. Well, worth noting because the the main coach in the story was a- Was a protege uh, of his. Was a protege of his. He played basketball for this man. And it, it's like this inescapable ghost that hangs over everything and Yang- tries to avoid it and yeah. they show conversations with his own conscience, conversations with his wife about what to do what not to do and even like the premise of this entire comic book is a lie because it's my own interpretation of it i i just found that entire narrative of him talking to himself to be really fascinating it was the best yeah. conclusion to it i i will say the mystery of why mike phelps left was actually like just looking at it purely on a construction level it was a good dramatic device to get you through the story because it actually is like this central mystery for a part of the book. And it, it really does create some odd darkness where there hadn't been any before. When it's revealed what he did, while the conflict is really, really interesting, I was allegedly actually, did. Allegedly what he did. allegedly did, the conflict was the conflict was interesting. The conflict that his fellow coaches had about the situation was also like really interesting. But I wasn't sure why it was such a big issue for Yang to include it. It's, because it, was, it wasn't part of the narrative of the story he wanted to tell. The story he was trying to tell was the journey, again, uh, the nuanced character study, but the journey of this this today's basketball team. And he didn't want to get bogged down in the controversy of the past. That's I don't know how you not tell it. How I didn't, it, just, it doesn't seem like a big deal to just allude to it. I don't know why it was this big thing that was haunting him. Basically, it didn't seem like when it was revealed, it was like, oh, that is a that is a really tragic, screwed up situation. I'm not sure why this was such a big albatross hanging around your neck as you were trying to tell the story. I want to push back on that a little and because it's something I actually dealt with on another podcast. It's as the producer of this thing, Yang being the producer of the book. So I, I interviewed an executive for one of my other podcasts a couple months ago, and the episode just went live recently. But in the actual interview, the executive said some things that he was being very truthful in the things that he said, but they were a little troubling and they didn't paint him in a great light. And I went back and forth personally with the decision, do I keep it in or do I edit it out? Because it takes away from the narrative, the purpose of this other podcast and what it's supposed to be about and almost... It almost invalidates some of the stuff he might have said at the front, which still has value. And so I went ahead and edited it. Like I literally left it in originally months ago when I finished the episode, but as it was going live, I did one last listen. I was like, Ugh. and I tell you that because Gene set out to do something and this other distracting element could have taken the entire story, could have twisted or tainted the narrative once you we've already said it like no matter who as you're listening to this we just said that one of the coaches of this team was accused of molesting someone now whether or not that actually happened or not all of a sudden you've now made your conclusion about this guy right or wrongly it's just human nature so it almost taints it 
And so Gene was going through, I can, I can empathize with, do I keep it in or do I keep it out? Do I keep it in or do I keep it out? And yeah, maybe he made the wiser choice than I did. And again, it's apples and oranges. My situation is, but I can really empathize with that. Do you keep it in or do you keep it out? Is it, what is it the, helping the story? What did the executive say? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> edit, t- t- tell me and edit it out or say it at a high level. The, the purpose of this other podcast is mentorship conversations with very big name executives. And by the end of the episode, it got into a very MAGA political rant. Mm. And that's, and again, everything said prior to that was really, really good content. Like really great. It's a great episode. And it almost just like, it changes your impression of the person when you hear that. And I don't think, I don't know if that's intentional. Uh, maybe that's deserved but it didn't serve the purpose of the podcast. And so I think that's something Gene was going back and forth with. Is like, does this serve the purpose of this book and this story I want to tell about O'Dowd today and the current coach today and his crew today? And he made a decision that, well, you can't hide from it. This is a pretty big name thing. We have to address it. And I think his choice to address it was because the relationship the prior coach Phelps had with the current coach. So... Yeah, I think Yang absolutely had to address it. There's no way around it. Does it is it not this part of the story he wants to tell? Yeah, but to that I say too damn bad. It's part of the story anyway. And if there are aspects of the story that you don't want to tell, then maybe you should rethink whether you want to tell the story in the first place. Hmm. So, and he handled it well, honestly. It's not like something that, it's not like suddenly the story just detours into this strange case of did he or didn't the former coach molest a child? It's something that he acknowledges, and he also acknowledges the ghost of the accusation. And it, in the end, it actually, the way he handles it, shows the not only the complexity of how Mike Phelps's former coworkers and colleagues felt about him, it also showed what it did to his life, if, especially if the accusation wasn't true. So I think it was an important thing to to keep in. But I also don't, for me, because I, I, I would think you got to leave it in. You just got to find a way to, to, to integrate it. it that, that was, that's more the question for me. How would you integrate it? Not should I keep it in or not? To me, there's like 0% chance that you don't at least acknowledge the complicated past. But even to get a little to meta on you, we've now spent probably 10 minutes of this podcast and again, it's an important part of the story, but getting distracted in the argument of that. And I'm not saying it should or shouldn't have been in there, but it's so interesting because that's not what this book was about. And we literally just spent 10 minutes talking about that. It's, is well, it an important piece to the dramatic arc? But it, if anything, it's a side story. Yeah, but that was our decision to do that. No, but then it became a debate. So but, that's why it's not like it's not like. I'm, I'm happy to argue. I, that's what I love about this podcast. But what I'm just saying is that's where Yang's indecision came from right it's like if i do this this will distract from the other narrative and as proven in our decision no i disagree with that i don't think it distracts from the rest of the narrative it just it it happens to take up a large part of this conversation because i had a point of view about it you didn't you had a differing point of view about it and naturally we hashed it out up till then, we were agreeing about everything. And when you agree about everything, yeah, and, there's and much this less episode to say. sucks. <laughs> These episodes suck when we agree on everything, right? But that's the truth. This is the point where we disagreed about the conflict that Yang had. And in litigating that, it you know created a little bit more, it dragged out the conversation in, in this direction. <laughs> 
if we disagree, look, 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 if we disagreed about the art, we would be focusing on that. That's fair. But what's funny about this podcast is I don't like gushing on books. I really don't. And there's less tension. There's less fun. But I don't have. I genuinely just like this book, and I'm trying to minus that thing. I'm. What are the things that we disagree about? Because. I have, I wasn't sure, like I said, the first time I heard about this book, I wasn't sure about it. I read it. I remembered enjoying it. I put it on the shelf and I decided to just move on because it, yeah, it was fine. It was really good, but it was fine. And it didn't occur to me that we should read it again until it got nominated for an Eisner, right? And it felt like a different book. There's a bunch of other Jean Lun Yang books that I would like to read on this podcast, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did the second time around. And maybe you, that's because I was paying more. Yeah, maybe that's because I was paying more attention to the craft versus the first time around. I was just reading the story for the sake of reading the story. What changed the second time around? Yeah, I already knew the story. Like I already knew the story. I already you, knew how you, yeah, but did you notice anything that you didn't notice before? Was there something? Yeah, did, the, did it resonate the with intent, you almost everything we said at the top, like the intentional nature the broader meta narratives that were at play. And just, I had more of an appreciation of Jean Lun Yang's skill um, because Superman smashes the clan. He was just the writer, not the writer and the artist versus American born Chinese. He was the writer and the artist boxers and saints, two books. I hope we get to read by him later. He's the writer and the artist. So to just watch him execute his craft of both writing and drawing at the same time, just, I feel like he's at the top of his game. No pun intended with this book. Yeah, of all of the things that I've read, well, of the three things I've read of of Yang's, this is this is my favorite, and I I think it's because he just unleashes a whole bunch of really cool storytelling tools. He just in- integrates biography and history, and documentary, then he's got this documentary, yeah. And I I I really like American Born Chinese. I will say it's been like about 10, 15 years since I've read it, so my memory of that might be hazy. I actually do remember. He does use a similar device with the, the character's conscience talking to him. In yep, yep. American Born Chinese, it was Sun Wukong also taking the form of Chinky, the Asian caricature. And that was the way he he litigated his own thoughts about race. And then, of course, here you, you see it at the end where he, the, the cartoon version of his wife says, well, I'm not really your wife. I'm just a cartoon version of her. And then I'm actually your conscience thing. But I, I felt here, he did so much more. You really do see like the full breadth of his storytelling powers. And then with Superman Smashes the Clan, obviously he didn't illustrate that one. But I felt as much as that was a look at, at race, it was much more straightforward. It felt like it was geared towards a much it was a very younger audience. Right, right. Yeah, I felt like it was, it was more for like kids versus this book and American Born Chinese felt very, very personal also in a way that, that maybe Superman Smashes the Clan didn't. I'm very curious to see how you feel about some of his other writing, something about Yang because of my appreciation of all of his independent work. Yeah. So one of the, one of the plot points in this book is he is a, I love the pie chart. I could really relate to the pie chart of 50% of me is my family. 25% is my teaching job. 25% is making graphic novels and comic books and things like American born Chinese boxers and saints is actually featured in this book when he has the unboxing with his family. But so Part another part of Yang's story in this book is the decision. He gets a gig with DC to write Superman, right? Right. One of, and th- that whole decision process of what he's choosing to do. And I bring that up because 
I'm very biased to Gene Lin Yang. And so obviously when he started getting the keys to Marvel and DC's assets, he actually did write a, a pretty decent run on Shang-Chi for Marvel and some runs for Superman and a few other things. And I've read all of them and I don't like them. Like, Wait, really? So, why? Yeah. Why not? Okay, no, no, no. I have not, so I haven't read his superhero stuff. Why don't you like him doing superhero stuff? I it's just not his strength. I'm sorry. It's just like it's I don't it's a unique take. It's pretty good. Like I, I recently ahead of Shang-Chi, I was like, oh, maybe I should read all the Shang-Chi stuff. So I read some old stuff. And I when I discovered Jin Lun Yang did a run on Shang-Chi for the past year, I was like, let's read it. And it's so interesting because all of his indie stuff, uh, American Born Chinese, Boxers and Saints, Dragon Hoops, read as or are marketed as young adult. And they come off as like very mature is the wrong word, but they're speaking to young adults, like adults who are just young, not like kids books and all of his superhero comics that I felt like I was being talked down to. Like he's, he's literally writing animated series scripts like, and it's fine. It's good. It's entertaining, but, and Maybe that's because I shouldn't just be an I, I'm an old man. I shouldn't be reading superhero comics. Maybe he was writing superhero comics for his kids, but he writes American born Chinese. He writes dragon hoops for the adult in us. So I just, it's like, I like that Brian Bendis and Mark Wade and Matt Fraction tell these really complicated stories about Wolverine and Hawkeye and Batman and blah, 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 blah. But they're really simple. Like they're just really simple, straightforward and they're fine, but they're not they don't give me like the visceral wow that's a great comic reaction mm. that i get from all of his indie stuff it's interesting how certain writers i was i was thinking about alan moore and i love his work with conventional superheroes i feel like the constraints of the superhero genre is what really makes him shine as a writer and then when he does stuff that's a little bit more personal or when he has carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wants Things get just really weird and not in a particularly good or interesting way. I'm thinking of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like the first two volumes are fantastic. And he's adhering to all of these. He's like paying homage to all these literary devices. But the third book is where I think he's able to just do whatever the hell he wants. And it gets so weird and strange that you you basically lose track of what the hell is going on. And so maybe in a way, Jean Lu Yang... Again, I haven't read his superhero work, but maybe he's the opposite where his personal stuff, the stuff where it's like been fully in his control and he's not trying to cater to millions of fans. That's the stuff that really brings him out as a writer versus the stuff where he's employed by DC and he has to adhere to whatever the editors at DC want him to do. And he's got to respect the character and all that stuff. You know, that, that's just not where he uh, Well, it, it, it feels like... It's also these other works are more personal. Yeah, if absolutely. That makes sense. He's really, yeah. he's, it's obviously it's part of the narrative in Dragon Hoops. He's a character in the story. But when the books are deeply personal, he shines when he's performing on a stage for Superman, for Shang-Chi, etc. Again, this is my perception. At some point, go read them and let me know what you think. But it's just like I was expecting more and again he has set such a high bar for himself with his independent work and almost all of his independent work i've just loved yeah but you see that in movies also right like john woo he does some amazing work with like hard-boiled and the killer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then he comes and does mission impossible too and it's like i, I think the official title was kicking impossible but yes <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's not it's not uncommon, right? You see, you have a really cool indie creator, and then they, they do something a little bit more mainstream, and it's there. You see what made him special, but it's like, eh. Um, again, though, I have not read Gene Luneyang's superhero work, his stuff for DC or Marvel, so I'm talking out of my ass. But I do, I well, actually, I did read Superman Smashes the Clan, so. But that was that one was very different. That wasn't main lane continuity. And that's what made that one special. Actually, so fun fact, like Superman Smashes the Clan was his first mainstream work that I read, and I was blown away. So then when I wanted to read his Superman run or his Shang-Chi run, I thought I'd have that same experience. But again, Superman Smashes the Clan, for all intents and purposes, it's in continuity, but it's an Elseworlds tale, right? And it was based on a radio drama, right, that he was reinterpreting and reimagining. So... I don't know. Yeah. The next Gene Lu Yang book we read will show be Boxers and Saints then rather than his than his run on Superman or Shang-Chi. <laughs> we could I was actually gonna suggest Shang-Chi for the, the week of Shang-Chi originally, and then I read it and I was like, no, no, no. Not deserving. One other moment that moments that I are just worth calling out because we we actually didn't spend as much time talking about this book, and I'd highly, highly, highly recommend folks read this book. But yeah, no, we talked is, a lot about the child molestation and we talked about how his fork with superheroes is inferior (laughs) (laughs) well we gushed on the art and but is the every time he profiles a character i i mean i love how every chapter opens with just a full body portrait of the character chapter eight jeevan chapter Mm. nine whoever's chapter nine right and and you really go into their backstory you show gene talking to them you show the person telling a story of their life. You sometimes show some tension in their life. And I, I was almost reminded of Lost. What One thing I loved about the show Lost is every show moved the plot along, but 50% of the chapter of the episode was diving into the character's background and just really getting to know them deeply. And it was almost like rhythmic. Every chapter did that. And you have to imagine he was arranging the characters and arranging the unveiling of the characters in a very certain order, because things with those characters would start to happen in the subsequent chapters. Mm, yeah, I, I didn't know if he was doing it in a specific order, or at least I didn't catch that. But I definitely like respected the way he 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 made some of the chapters like specifically devoted to certain students or certain standouts at, at Bishop O'Dowd. He didn't actually some of the some of the people he profiled weren't actually even on the basketball team. Yeah, it would suck because they do make some references to the making of the comic. I keep coming back to Jeevan, but it's like, oh, man, those pictures you posted online of the characters are really cool. And can you imagine if Mr. Yang or the Yangster or the Yangulator? I really loved the uh, the kids names for him. Mm. Mr. Yang interviewed you and took your life story and then you don't show up in the book. How does that feel? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, one thing I liked, I liked one of the students that said, I don't like the way you draw my hair. And yeah, that was he says, that was yeah, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'll, I'll fix that. And then next the next panel, panel he fixes the hair. <laughs> it actually reminded me a little bit of, did you ever see the Wolf of Wall Street? I did. Yeah. 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 So he's like, I drove a red Lamborghini and then he's like, wait, no, 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 no. It was a white Lamborghini and then the car like changes color <laughs> in the middle of that. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I just really love when the text, well, or in the, this case, it's the comic and, or the movie is just like, just completely like playing with you Mm -hmm. yeah and again it's it's self-referential but the gimmick is used it is employed thoughtfully to move some of the things along because the one the whole point of that hair scene actually had to do with how do i make sure a brown person looks different from a black person i wanted to make sure and again i'm 
I don't know if there's a bias on because again, he's Sikh, I'm I was raised Hindu. But even the, the whole explanation of Guru Nanak, when I first read this and the part where his anger at Gandhi oh, educated yeah. me. Oh like, yeah, I was actually, I actually gonna ask you about the, that. Well, I took pictures of those pages several months ago when I first read it and I sent it as I'm working on another project that does involve Gandhi. And I remember taking pictures of those pages and sending it to the people I was collaborating with at the time. And it's actually caused me to literally these two pages have caused me to think about the, that part of the narrative of the project I'm working on. So, yeah, that was actually a version of Gandhi that, or an interpretation of Gandhi that we, I, I'd never seen either. Well, One a lot that looks the, much less favorably. To be very clear, Gandhi is a complicated figure and there's a lot of things he did right in the macro narrative of history. But there's a lot of stuff about Gandhi, man, that he's no saint. It's just what I say. He's a very controversial figure, more so than you would think. Because you would think like Mother Teresa and Gandhi, they're the best. Oh, Mother <laughs> Teresa's a controversial figure these days, too. I did not know that. I hope there's a graphic novel about it. <laughs> yeah, I, her whole thing was that suffering, well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I might be wrong. Suffering brings you closer to God. So she willfully, a lot of the people she cared for, she, she did not give them anesthesia or any sucker that would help their pain because she thought that suffering would would you know bring them closer to god of course when she's on her deathbed she gets give her, me she give gets me the her, she yeah. gets her drugs the yeah <laughs> mother Teresa got her drugs <sighs> we didn't that's talk a, nearly enough about this book <laughs> that's the title of this episode Roman mother Teresa got her drugs so Ryan yeah I think we've said not nearly enough about this book because we both like too much of it, but it's that time. I got to ask, what are we reading next week? Next week, we're going back to the world of weird-ass comics with the New World Comics from Mauritania by Chris Reynolds. And you're being like, what? I have never even heard of this. And there's a good reason because this is an indie comic that was created in the 1980s. And... I will tell you, it is like unlike anything that you have ever read before. It begins with a man returning home to an empty house, and it just gets stranger and stranger and stranger until it, it starts to begin to feel like you're an alien visiting a strange world. That's the That's sensation you every week get. on this podcast. But not this week. This week, you had your upbeat fun, but next week, Roman, it's back to more eccentricities. I'm all about the eccentricities. Yes, indeed. We'll see you there. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. Qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.
I just believe. 